Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, guys, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Dan Panetti, uh, got a good friend, uh, Tyler Amburn. Tyler, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for having me, Dan. You bet. Um, and uh, uh, after we did um, Nick Bellamy, um, and Nick is a mutual friend of, of both of ours, um, I remember uh, I was telling you about you know Nick's story, and for those who want to go back and, and listen to Nick's story, um, you, you said, hey, if you want another story, kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a story, yeah, uh, and I really I don't know your story. Um, I know that if somebody saw you today, um, they would see you and they think, right, this guy has it all together. Um, obviously, right, comes from a great background, easy life. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've married a wonderful young lady, uh, pre- pregnant with your second child. Correct. Um, you've got a great job, great career. Um, and it's just, right, it just, you don't know somebody's past and somebody's story. So when sure. you said that to me, I was like, whoa, I can't uh, wait to hear this. Yeah. Um, so I want our guys to listen. Um, and then at some point, we're going to kind of take a shift from the journey in the past to where we are today okay. and what happened, right? But I want to hear the past, kind of the whole full thing. So start wherever you want and dive into the, the, yeah. the past story of Tyler Amber. Absolutely. Well, well again, thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so my story starts all the way back in, in the panhandle uh, West Texas. Yeah, a little panhandle of Texas. Little right. panhandle, yeah. I love so, it. So I grew up in a small town called Toya, Texas, mm-hmm. right in between uh, Amarillo and Lubbock, if you're looking on the map. It's about 40 miles south of Amarillo. And, uh, you know, my wife was born in Hereford. Okay. Well, so we've, we've been up in that area, right? And Hereford, of course, you know, right, is, yeah. the, is the city that smells like yeah. um, a lot of cow manure. Yeah. And, and as people in Hereford would say, that's the smell of money. That's right. So, <laughs> so the very first time I took Jennifer home to meet the family, we come out of church on Sunday morning. She said, what is that god-awful smell? Yes. I said, baby, that's the smell of money that's around the smell here. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so if you're from around there, you, so, you, you've got the saying in your back pocket. Uh, ready amen, to go. amen. Yeah. So anyways, um, so yeah, born and raised in Toya. Okay. I am the middle child of three. Mm-hmm. I have an older brother uh, and a younger sister. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so my my parents owned a radio station and a movie theater. And um, when I was nine years old, my parents divorced. Mm. Um, so my brother was old enough. He, he chose to, to stay and live with my dad and Tulia. And my sister and I were not uh, old enough to be able to uh, make that decision. So we ended up moving with my mom. How old was your sister? Uh, she was four years younger than me. So she was probably about four at the yeah. time. So I'm nine. She's, she's four or five, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, so we moved to Amarillo. Mm. And it was, uh, it was a very challenging first year, to be honest with you. Um, you know, new school, your whole world's turned upside down. You know, your, your family dynamic is, is split apart. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, we were driving back and forth every week, you know, Thursday and, and Friday night to watch my brother play high school football and basketball. So there was just this constant on the run. Yeah no real consistency you're in a new city new friends and you're just trying to pick up the pieces right yeah. and, and so, every friday night you're back up at home watching your brother correct and getting thrown back into that and then spending a weekend with your dad here and then yeah. going back yeah every other weekend with my dad you know yeah. 
Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, it dates all the way back to, you know, um, I mean, I can remember my mom telling me he had his first DWI at 21, hmm. right? So Right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate. And so very uh, similar, I was, I was headed down the same path, yeah. right, ultimately. Um, so parents divorced when I was nine, uh, moved to Amarillo, and I started drinking. I remember the first drop of alcohol I ever had when I was, when I was about 15. Okay. So my brother's uh, four years older than me. So he's a freshman and at tech mm. and I would go stay with him on the weekends and, um, a recipe for disaster. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> so what bad could happen? Yeah. No, right? no good can come with that. Yeah. So anyhow, um, so that's where my drinking all started. Yeah. Right. And got progressively worse in, in high school, you know, just being a knucklehead. Um, and then I graduate high school and I moved to Fort Worth and go to flight school. And, um, I moved in with some guys who were of age to drink. And so I had free access to alcohol. So, um, just got progressively worse. Right. And, um, I was in Lubbock, Texas on my 21st birthday, uh, back in 2008. And, uh, tried to drive from Lubbock to Amarillo at about four o'clock in the morning, mm. uh, after drinking all day. Mm. And, uh, two truck drivers had called my license plate in for swerving all over the road. And so the Hell County Sheriff, <clears throat> excuse me, pulled me over and um, and uh, saved my life, basically. Yeah. You know, he said, look, uh, um, you're, you're lucky you didn't kill yourself or someone else. Yeah. So um, I didn't get it right away. Um, I, as part of all my court stuff, I, I was uh, uh, asked to go to a Mothers Against Drunk Driving class. Okay. And a lady in there, <clears throat> she said, uh, who in here thinks they have a problem? And nobody raised their hand. Yeah. We were all about 18 to 25 yeah. and would all say we were victims of the wrong place at the wrong time. Sure. So she wrote this number on the board. She says, okay, I'm going to write this number on the board. If you ever want to talk to someone, give them a call. Well, I'd been on about a five-day drinking spree up to this point. It was a Wednesday through Friday uh, class that we were uh, attending. And so from about Wednesday to Sunday, I had tied one on every night, mm. so to speak. And so I was exhausted come, you know, Sunday, uh, Monday, I go to work and I've just got this, you know, the Lord was working on me with that question. Who in here thinks they have a problem? See, my dad had, um, my dad had gone to AA and it had never worked. Really? Yeah. Okay. And my mom, I, I left this out of my story. My mom remarries when I'm 14. She remarries an alcoholic. And so all mm. I was ever around was alcohol. Yeah. But I was going to do it, and I was going to be different, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, it is interesting. One of the things people talk about is um, why people from certain backgrounds kind of repeat the patterns that they saw as a negative, right? Like you experienced it, and you realized you know, that that wasn't healthy. But it's interesting because it's the only pattern that you see. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to create and, and form a different pattern if – Right. You see that people use alcohol as kind of their way, their escape, their you know, mode of like handling life. And it's like, well, you know, what are the other alternatives? Yeah. And if you grow up in a home where that's all you see, it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to say, well, I don't know, exercise, read a book, do something. It's like, yeah. oh, but I've never seen anybody do that. And so in a sense, you kind of just fall into the patterns of, you know, of people that you see. So, yeah, you know, there's Tyler just so my pride doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, my pride and arrogance says I'm going to do it and do yeah. it differently and yeah. be better. Right. Yeah. And I found myself going right down the same path. Uh, so I'm 21, 21st birthday. Dad gets his first DWI at 21. I get pulled over and thrown in jail. 
So you can see the parallels are, yeah. are right down the same path, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and so um, I called that number that that lady had written on the board. Oh, wow. And the guy answered, and it was a Narcotics Anonymous number. Okay. And I thought I was calling an Alcoholics Anonymous number. And so the guy tells me, he says, hey, yeah, go, go pull up the Yellow Pages. That's when we had Yellow Pages I remember and phone books. The, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Internet wasn't as prevalent back in, in 2003. So um, I said, yeah, 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 you know, kind of just dismissed him and said, okay, yeah, no problem. Right. Well, the guy calls me back five minutes later. And he says, hey, I found a phone number for you. And, I mean, I got chills now telling the story. He, he literally, um, the Lord must have impressed upon him to, to take that next step. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I told him, I said, thank you so much. Why did you do that? And he said, I'm giving back the free gift that was given to me. Amen. And so I called that number. There was a, there was a, uh, a meeting just down the road in about an hour. And I went. And I was by far the youngest guy in there, you mm. know, um, and I didn't have all the, the, the craziness that, that a lot of you hear in alcoholic stories, the failed marriages, the wrecked cars, the bankruptcies, the divorce, yeah. all that kind of not, stuff. Not yet. Yet, exactly. exactly. <clears throat> that was the key. And, but, but what I identified with was the emotions and why they, why they drink, sure. right? So while I hadn't had the life experience they had, the reason why they drank, uh, you know, alcoholics can tend to be emotionally immature mm -hmm. individuals who kind of stop maturing emotionally at a certain point, and they use a substance to cope with that, right? Yeah. And so um, I identified with the emotions and said, you know, that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? <clears throat> and they said, you just have to make it to midnight, and we'll fight tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay. And so I did that for about three weeks. And I had a wedding coming up. The guy that I was living with at the time, um, I'd already committed to go up to Wisconsin and uh, sing in a wedding that uh, his brother was getting married. So I'm from Wisconsin. Are so you? Wisconsin and weddings? Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you know what I'm <laughs> talking this about. This is not going to be a good you combination. The, you see the picture of where we're going. <clears throat> so Wait, wait. To sing? Yeah. Wait, who's singing? Me. What? Yeah. You're, you're singing in a wedding? Yeah. I didn't know you could sing. Well, I, I don't advertise it, but yes. Um, <laughs> oh I, like to, I like to sing. So Look at you. <clears throat> I have like hidden talents. Yeah. So um, so you're going up to sing in a wedding. Yes, yeah, so I'm oh going up to sing in a wedding. Okay. I get up there on the Friday and... Um, this is not going to be a good part, so yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I make see it, it coming. I, I white knuckle through the, um, through the, the rehearsal on Friday night. Okay. Uh, through the the pre-gaming of the wedding right. on Saturday afternoon, and we make it through uh, the wedding, and then the party ensues, right? And so, um, <sighs> you know, I'm, the the tension is getting yep, yep. greater and greater, right? And I had placed accountability around me, right? Like I had gotten a sponsor. I'd let several guys know what I was doing, where I was going. So I thought I was doing all the right things, but <clears throat> I, I just I was doing it on – sheer willpower yep. at that point, you know? Yep. And so uh, about an hour into the reception, I just threw caution to the wind. And, mm. and uh, that was that was October 18th, 2000, uh, 2008. And uh, I remember waking up the next morning uh, on my buddy's couch there in nowhere, Wisconsin, <laughs> and just having this hopeless, hopeless feeling. Yeah. And I like, thought, this is it. It's going to be like this the rest of my life. It, you know, if this is what... Yeah on and off the bandwagon is all about. I don't want any part of this. 
so I went back to Dallas, went back to my uh, AA group, and uh, admitted defeat, picked up another 24-hour chip, and that was October 19th, 2008, and I've been sober ever since, wow. by the grace of God. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's the, been The on-again, off-again bandwagon thing, that is, that's, a, that's a frustrating experience. Well, right? I saw it my whole life. Yeah. And uh, I'd seen that movie. I'd seen that play out before me, and I thought, I don't want to do this. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, thankfully, I didn't have <clears throat> a wife and kids, and, you know, I hadn't destroyed all that. But God was preparing me for someone who ultimately didn't have that struggle and knew that I didn't need that struggle. Yeah. Right? So, so where does the, the spiritual journey in your life kind of play into it? Like, when, when did you become a follower of Christ, and when did that become kind of the central aspect of your life that you know, kind of helped you to give you the power that you needed. Yeah, so we didn't grow up going to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say my uh, my mom's side of the family was Baptist, and my dad's side was Methodist. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we we only went to church on Easter and Christmas when everybody got the nice new outfits and everybody showed up pretty and looking perfect, yeah. right? But beyond that, there was no real spiritual uh, consistency. And so um, when my parents divorced and I would go back, uh, to Tulia on the weekends, you know, I can remember my, remember my dad dropping me off at church, you know, and then picking us up. Yeah. Sometimes I go to the Baptist church, sometimes I go to the Methodist church, but I, I didn't, I didn't really get involved consistently in church until, you know, my teenage years. I would go with friends, you know, mm-hmm. just like we have here. Um, but I, I didn't really accept Christ until I was a junior in high school. Really? Right. Really. Okay. So there was a there was a guy, <clears throat> Madison Michener, um, who he he was he was a mentor, he was a father figure, and uh, I was being a bonehead, and he took me out one night and uh, went to dinner, and he laid the gospel out to me, and he was a cowboy, and he uh, he owned the Amarillo Livestock Auction, and he, if it wouldn't have been about thirty something degrees there in Amarillo, he's like I would take you out in the horse trough and in, in the feed yard and and baptize you there but we went up to the church and and uh and, thank you for uh, thank you for being really cold because right. otherwise that, yeah. yeah that would have been an experience yeah so oh, that's, uh, that's when i accepted christ okay but nothing really changed dramatically for me yeah until you kind of hit rock bottom because i didn't um it was like i had accepted christ i believed mm-hmm. i confessed i'd asked but i didn't have the accountability around me i didn't have anybody to walk beside me and disciple me yeah right and so, um, you know, I go through my high school, the rest of my high school years and those early uh, years of flight school and getting on my feet in my career and just kind of floundering um, for me to really hit rock bottom and then come back to the church shortly thereafter um, as I'm going through AA and they're talking about your higher power and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. That's what drove me back to church. Yeah. You and know. you know, you know exactly what they're talking about. Their higher power. No like, question. I know, I know what that higher power is. Yeah, it's not some <laughs> you know mystical thing to me. It's like, yeah. hey, I know, I know him. I know him, and he has a name for sure. <laughs> and it's for Jesus. Sure. So, so how how did the accountability start then? Like, where where did you start building the community? Um, you know, was it was it some older guys? Was it guys your age that started you know kind of pouring into you and holding you accountable? What that looked like? Yeah. So I've I've had <clears throat> I've had about three three guys in my life really for uh, my papa was a real big uh, kind of father figure there for me early on uh, in high school 
the girl I was dating at the time, her dad was a real strong figure in my life mm-hmm. and kind of took me under under his wing. Madison Mission of the guy was just telling you about who ended up uh, baptizing me. Um, and then J.D. Ferguson. Oh, okay. Um, and, and so God just placed several men in my life at yeah. different key points yeah. to walk alongside me and um, really kind of just you know, be a, be a, a father figure and a mentor and show me what it's like to be a man. Yeah. Honestly, God's done the same thing in my life, which is one of the reasons that I started the podcast, right. To have these conversations for a bunch of guys who don't have that person in their life at this particular time, because these conversations are just so important to have. Sure. Right. So if you're, if you're a guy who's struggling with whatever it is, whatever coping mechanism you're using, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be alcohol. It could be something else. could be pornography, right. could be just, you know, whatever, substance right some some escape that you're using right to deal with your emotions instead of um pushing through addressing things wrestling with stuff beating it down to the ground right you find a way just to kind of numb it escape it move on and then you know hey tomorrow's gonna be better but the reality Mm -hmm. is it's like the problem's still there yeah Yeah. (laughs) so so tomorrow might be a better day but you still haven't dealt with the problem um but yeah i watch so many guys who you know find a way to just kind of numb that you know try to try to figure out you know, how do I move from point A to point B? But they never allow the Holy Spirit to really deepen them to get victory over those aspects of their life. Um, and sometimes it just, you know, it takes an older guy to, to say, listen, I, I've been there. I've done that. Let me help get you off of that, you know, mm-hmm. that wheel that just keeps on spinning yeah. and, and get in a different direction. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things, you know, that you, you hear the stories of so many guys, right, that just it, it feels like, you know, they go from their 20s to their 30s to their 40s to their 50s. And they're still, you know, it's, it's the same thing as you said, right? There's there's now a trail of, you know, the broken marriage, the kids, mm-hmm. the divorce, the, the, you know, everything that goes on behind them. And you just you watch them kind of go off into their twilight years, and it's like they they never figured out how to navigate life. Sure. And and you know I'm I'm just I'm looking at you and saying you know you're you're a you're a picture of a a major victory, right? Of the guys who poured into you, and you know you listened, you humbled yourself, you applied what you you know what what guys were telling you, and you moved in a different direction. And that's yeah. a huge that's a great story. Well, thank you. Um, it's it's nothing of my own doing. I mean, God's. I got to give him all the praise and glory. Um, but what I've always tried to be is coachable and teachable. I love that. Right. Yep. And so, I mean, there's, there's been other seasons. I mean, <clears throat> my AA sponsor really helped me uh, stay sober in those beginning days. I mean, I've done uh, discipleship with Michael Perrin, with David Shivers, just different seasons, yeah. different people yep. uh, that, that I'll seek out and, and walk alongside for a season, you know, um, helping out with exchange life ministry here at the church and trying to, you know, find that guy that yep. is, that is at where I'm at, where I've been. Right. Yeah. That same and, 20 year old that you're looking in his eyes going, I know exactly what you're yeah. thinking. I know exactly what you're going through. Absolutely. And I can get you from point A to point B if you would, right. Listen, humble yourself, stay coachable, right. Stay teachable, right. Listen, learn. But then at the end of the day, right, you've got to go home and you've got to put into practice the things that you hear and you actually have to do them. You got, you got to, you got to, you know, as you said before, you not only have to put the accountability around you, 
but when those opportunities come and that, you know, there, there it is, there's the opportunity to kind of fall back into that pattern. You've got to learn how to say no. Yeah. Sometimes people just need somebody to be there. Yeah. They just need the ministry of presence. Amen. Right. And so, um, just to have somebody to say that you've been there, I want to go there. Like, will you help walk alongside? Yeah. I, I may not always have the answers. I may not have any answers. But just to walk alongside somebody and say, I, I understand, I've been there. Yeah. Right? And um, I mean, God, I, God's restored me, God's redeemed me from that, thankfully. Yep. And he can do the exact same thing for you. Yeah. I, I do love, though, I mean, you, you say the ministry of presence. I mean, just what a beautiful picture that, you know, even in the garden when, you know, God looked at man and says, not good for him to be alone. And so he created a helpmate. Now, we always think about that in terms of, right, God created, you know, male and female in the marriage relationship. And, and obviously, you know, your wife, my wife, right, plays a, a critical role um, in our development into the man that we, we want to be, right? But it's it's not just, you know, the wife, right? It's, you know, other people in your life that you allow into your life to help you become the best version of the man that you want to be. And sometimes it's just, you know, a group of guys, yeah. right? So if you're not married, it's, you know, it's definitely a group of guys, right? Mm-hmm. But even if you are married, I think you still need to maintain a good group of guys that you stay accountable, you know, accountable to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is good to have an older guy um, that's kind of pouring into you that can kind of say the things that need to be said to you that yeah. maybe sometimes guys in your particular stage of life, you know, it's like none of us have wrestled with that before, right? We, yeah. we haven't been here. We haven't done that. Um, but I, I love that, you know, there's also opportunities for you to give back. So mm-hmm. you're looking for, you know, kind of the, you know, the Tylers who are in the 21s mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you know, let me tell you my story. Let me help you out. And I think that's a really important um, part for us as men to look for younger guys that we can pour into as well. Yeah. I mean, um, God's given me a story, right? Yep. Like, I'm not proud of some of the things that I've done and gone through. But if I don't use that and tell the story that God's given me, I'm not get, I'm not giving him the praise and glory that he is due and deserves for what he's brought me through, right? Yeah. And so um, J.D. used to say, J.D. Ferguson used to say um, when he was deacon chairman, he used to say that the day that older men stop pouring into younger men, the church stops growing. Amen. And so that's a, that was a big, you know, um, that was big on his heart. And so um, I'm just trying to, you know, do my part with, with other guys um, who might need just uh, just encouragement, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. If somebody could have said something to Tyler at 14, 15, 16, <laughs> do you think there's anything that you would have listened to? Um, I would tell you the thing that, that the Lord's teaching me right now. Um, that I would um, wish I could have told myself then mm-hmm. um, is forgiveness, uh, right? Wow, yeah. Um, because we that we all go through hurts, right? We all have different hurts. Um, your path is different than mine, yeah. but we all we all still get hurt in this broken world that we're in. That's right. And so, um, forgiveness and letting go of those hurts and pains. And letting the Lord uh, heal those those wounds, yeah. Um, I feel like I have held on to a lot of things that have that have uh, uh, been a big chain in my yeah. life. Yeah, only ended up burdening you and pulling you down. Correct. Yeah, and that and I feel like I'm realizing that here just this week. Yeah, right. And the Lord's just like doing a doing a work in me that's just like, man, I wish I'd have dealt with this 15 years ago. Yeah, 
You know? Yeah, I had a I had a similar journey in my late twenties, early thirties, um, of learning to let go of things, of hurts and wounds. Um, two books that helped me tremendously um, was uh, Ed Welsh has a book called um, When People Are Big and God Is Small, and it's just you know what, whatever events people have done in your life uh, that have hurt you, that have wounded you, not to minimize them at all. Um, but when you place them next to God's grace and mercy, um, they are minimized by God being maximized, right? So you don't have to minimize the hurt. If, if somebody abused you or somebody didn't take care of you, if somebody did something that was wrong, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I can't forgive them because that lets them off the hook. Right. And the reality is, is like, no, it doesn't. It lets you off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it lets you release what they've done and realize that God can use anything for his glory, Mm -hmm. even hurts and pains and wounds, Mm -hmm. right? God knows how these things work out. Uh, So that book was tremendously helpful to me. And then uh, The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. um, And just, yeah, just a great book about, um, you know, the the parable that God, you know, that Jesus uses where he talks about, um, you know, the unforgiving debtor, Mm -hmm. you know, who's you know, got all this debt that he's got to, you know, get forgiven. And, he, you know, the guy forgives him. And then he goes out and finds somebody that he doesn't forgive. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that concept of what you've been forgiven, if, if we mm-hmm. really look at it. And, and people kind of look at, you know, their sin. Um, and it's just like, you have to understand your sin is a rebellion against the holy God. Yeah. So what you've been forgiven of, right, makes whatever somebody else did to you pale in comparison. Mm-hmm. So if you can't forgive other people, really... It's a. It's probably because you haven't really accepted the forgiveness of God. Yeah. So it's a great reminder from that particular standpoint. So those those two books have been, you know, instrumental in my life. Um, you know, that's amazing. Pick, yeah, pick, pick them up and, sure. and read them. We'll put them in the show notes so other guys can grab them sure. as well. But yeah, if you if you find yourself in that particular situation where, um, you know, not to minimize, you know, events that have happened in your life, you know, things that are even sometimes beyond your control. Um, it, it's that reality of just saying, yeah, but I, I, could, I can still learn to forgive other people, which doesn't mean that I, um, you know, don't say what they did was wrong. But it does mean that, you know, when God says vengeance is mine, I allow him to be the one who holds him accountable. Well, I, I was struggling with this idea that I had to make a list of all these hurts <laughs> and had to go and lay it out on the table and say, you did X, Y, and Z to me. And we yep. have this big yep. cry out yep. session. Yep. and. Yep you know, have this big hug out moment and, and you get this radical healing. That's in my mind what that looked like. And I I called Michael two days ago and said, look, I'm struggling with this. What does this look like? If I, if I just go and say, I have been uh, harboring some resentment Mm -hmm. against you and I'm doing some work on myself, I need to ask you for forgiveness. Will you forgive me for harboring that, that, um, that resentment towards you. I said, is that going to be enough? Am I going to get the healing? And, you know, and he goes, you're sounding very selfish right now. <laughs> is this going to be enough for, and I'm like, I, I don't mean for it to come across that way. I really don't. Uh, I just want to make I, sure that I if I those, do this I process. Those, yeah. I hate those honest answers, right? Yeah. No, it made but perfect it sense. I, did, like, I didn't hear it as it was coming out of my mouth, but yeah. I just literally, I'm like, I just want to make sure that if I do this, I do it right. And I, I don't have to do this three times, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he said, look, the obedience what you're being asked to do sometimes is all you need to do. That's right. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. I, get it. I, I just, you know, I was, I was brought up the word. We learned how to apologize. Right. You know, my thing was, you know, Tyler, I'm sorry for, and I would say whatever I did to you, will you forgive me? And then regardless of what you say, my job is now done. So if you say, yes, Dan, I forgive you, that's fantastic. And it restores a relationship. But if you say, no, I don't forgive you. Now that's on you. Yeah. 
right? And so the whole concept of just this, you know, this burden that we have, uh, this resentment that we carry, this unforgiveness that we allow, right? It's the, okay, you've got to learn to let it go. And if it has been something that you've been harboring against somebody and you've allowed it to hurt the relationship, it's okay to go to somebody and say, hey, listen, you know, what you did is wrong, right? And it would be great if, you know, you ask for forgiveness, but that's, that's not on me. Yeah. Right? What's on me is me allowing that to dictate my part of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking for forgiveness, right? And it, and it, people think, too, the whole idea of when you ask for forgiveness, it's like, now we've got to be best friends. Right. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? If somebody's hurt you, if somebody's abused you, if somebody's done something wrong to you, right? One, they may never ask for forgiveness. Yeah. You, you can move on. Mm-hmm. And, and two, it doesn't mean that, you know, you invite them over for dinner every night and, you know, you let them babysit your kids, right? Yeah. You, you still need to have boundaries and say, hey, if that person still isn't at a healthy place. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not a part of your life yet. Yeah. But... Right, I have forgiven and I have moved on. It's all about keeping your side all, of the street clean. It's exactly. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep your keep your side of the street clean, and, right. and realizing, as you said before, that it really isn't me that kept it clean anyway. It's that God has cleaned it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, God's cleaned my side of the street. So thank you, Lord, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that He's cleaned it, it's like okay, I, I don't need to messy it up with bringing in things that He has. You know, He's He's forgiven me, so I can forgive others. Sure. Right, he's blessed me, so I can bless others. Right, yeah. so yeah. that's that's the responsibility of being a child of God. You get to you get to pass on what your dad's done. I get to live out the character that he's shown me. Right, and he is a forgiving God. Amen. Right, so beautiful picture, man. That's good stuff. That's great. I'm I'm glad you're you're you know in a sense still wrestling with things, still going through things because I think so many people. You know, it's like you, you make one step of the journey and you think you're done. And it's like, no, there's a lot of stuff to, to work up. There's yeah. a lot of things to go through. So yeah. I appreciate it. We'll be praying for you in that journey and, you. and you know, where, what, what the next step is. But, you know, Michael Perrin's a good one to be around because he, he, he he'll shoot straight <clears throat> with you. That's right. He, he's not <laughs> like, afraid to call a spade exactly, a spade. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, that's not what I want to hear. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, but that's why I call him. Yeah. You know, but I'm trying to, like I said, be coachable and teachable. Yes. It's like when I, when I have something I'm wrestling with. I don't want fluff. No. Yeah, just, yeah, cut through the junk, get to the point, tell yeah. me what I need to hear, let me let me wrestle with it and figure it out, right? Let's get yeah. on down the road. Yeah, if you just, you know, tell me what I want to hear, I get in my echo chamber, right, and then everybody, you know, says what I want to hear, and I don't get any better. No, so, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you used the word coachable, by the way, too, right? Because that's the thing is, you know, for guys, that, that kind of resonates with me, right? You know, being teachable. It's like, well, being coachable, right? Because I, I, I think, you know, we go, we take guys out all the time, out on the field, right? And we want somebody to, you know, help me with my swing, help me with my fielding, help me with my run, right? We, we, we get instruction all the time. Yeah. But if you put it in sports, we're super, you know, open to it. Mm-hmm. But if you put it in relationships or life, we're like, whoa, you know, nah, I don't want to hear that. Down, yeah. Right. We shut down. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you never minded when coach yelled at you and told you how to do something better because on Friday night when you went out there and played, right, it's like, wow, that was great. Yep. But that's the same point, right? If you want to get better in life so that you can have, right, a great life and flourish in your marriage and in your career, mm-hmm. you got to have some correction along yeah. the way. I found that the biggest uh, the biggest growth that I've had in my life is when I have been surrounded um, by godly men, mm-hmm. and I have been in accountability, discipleship, having the right associations um, that can encourage me and instruct me in the Lord. Amen. Um, that that's where I see the most radical growth. So that's another thing I would encourage the young Tyler or the young man out there that's listening to this is get around those that that you want to that 
you aspire to be and get under their wing and, and uh, get in their hip pocket. Yep. Right? Yep. Ask a lot of questions, be open, listen, learn, and make the changes. Drop the pride. Amen. Drop the pride. <laughs> Boom. Not, not super helpful. That's good. Well, Tyler, thanks for your time. Thanks for the um, just the, the sharing the story and, and the journey. I know a lot of guys out there are uh, encouraged and challenged by what you shared. So thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.